Hi, this is Dr. Jane Battenberg, author of Change Within, Change the World. In this weekly podcast, I interview changemakers who are at the cutting edge of new thought and consciousness awareness. Join me as we change within and change the world together. Peggy Rubin, a renowned classical and Shakespearean actor, is beloved for her workshops worldwide on such diverse subjects as sacred theater, mystery school, evolutionary journey, bliss, and others. She joins us today to talk about her favorite subject, the creation of happiness. In current times, it's quite a feat to sustain joy in the face of the multiple daunting crises facing us. I can't wait to hear her take on this subject and how she manages to do it. Peggy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jane. Thank you for that lovely introduction and for allowing me to engage and comment on my favorite subject, which is joy. You say joy rather than happiness. The traditional understanding that I buy into is that happiness sometimes relies on the outside world. Joy is an interior story. It happens inside. So that if, if, if you feel like that's a difference, then, then we need to acknowledge that. But my sense is that happiness is kind of a prelude and, a, and a, an engine that feeds that internal sense of joy. So that, and we can return to a moment of happiness in the midst of anything and find the richness because happiness that we experience Mm. becomes a wellspring of joy if we cherish it and hold on to it and feel it all the way through our bodies and minds. Does that make Mm. sense to you? Yes, and so so I'm thinking about emotions, like emotions are like the weather, you know, they keep changing. (laughs) Sometimes I'm happy, sometimes I'm sad and angry and everything, but you're saying, for one thing, we are all all of those things all mm-hmm. the time. That's true. But I don't think that happiness, and I know joy is not an emotion. Joy is a steady state. And it creates more of itself if we pay attention and honor it and keep feeding it and acknowledging its presence. Then it becomes a an internal state of such beauty and such repose that the other things that are like the weather the anger the disappointment the sadness all those things just they don't don't exactly evaporate but they dissolve into nothingness and the joy remains Hmm. So if I still feel them, I, I don't feel them anymore? No, you acknowledge you feel them. So, okay, oh, so okay. I'm really annoyed about this, or this <laughs> really made me sad, or I'm so sorry about that. All of that's real, for sure. But it, if, if we acknowledge mm-hmm. that within us resides, sometimes I think of it as a, as a tameable volcano, Sometimes I think of it as a cornucopia, but it is a place of absolutely abiding joy. Then those things, we acknowledge them, we honor ourselves for acknowledging them, and we learn a little more about ourselves and what triggers us and what makes us unhappy, all of that. We learn more, but that too is a source of joy. Hey, I just learned that when somebody cuts me off on the road, I get really rude. Huh. Well, I'm joyful about the fact that I have learned that about myself. 
Oh, now maybe the next time that somebody cuts me off on the road, I'll be a little slower to trigger myself because because I have acknowledged that, okay, so I'm human. <laughs> Hello, what a surprise, <laughs> what a surprise. But but it is one of the gift of human gifts of humankind, and I think all living beings, to experience and live in a state of abiding joy. Wow. Okay, so let me just see if I've got this. So happiness and joy are different. Slightly. One feeds the other, I think. And happiness feeds joy if I... Uh, treasure the moments of happiness and you it's like putting okay let's look at it this way joy is this treasure treasury inside your heart and mind all right so every moment of happiness that you acknowledge that you say oh my wasn't that a sweet smile on that baby and you just sort of feed it to that treasure house that is joy inside then the joy expands and the happiness expands so it's like putting money in my savings account. <laughs> exactly. There's, there's got really high interest rate. Yes. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. It, it keeps feeding you. It keeps feeding you. And in the moments when there's sadness or anger or whatever, mm-hmm. sometimes it's really helpful to say, okay, I'm going into the joy bank now, and I'm going to remember a moment of particular happiness. And that will... What it does in the brain, I understand, is sort of uh, weaken the difficult things that have kind of built a chasm in the brain, an automatic response to something in the brain, and it sweetens it, you know, and lifts it out of the brain a bit to come in, to go into there and say, I'm, I'm remembering in the midst of this anger, I am remembering somebody's, some baby's sweet smile, and that assuages it that lifts the anger and and i think ultimately transmutes it transforms it even into energy and and new possibilities so then i'm not um completely attached to that emotion i'm i'm it's that emotion and yes thank you that's lovely yeah it's that emotion and both and okay and and one of the ways of dealing with the emotions that wear us out and create uh, holes in our brains <laughs> yeah is is to is to um in the middle of it try to remember a trigger of happiness or joy or delight or sweetness any of those lovely things weakens the chemistry and that's what we want to do is we want to transmute the chemistries of anger and resentment and all that turn it to something different so do you have any examples in your own personal life that you'd like to share? Because I think this might be hard. It is hard. Well, I was in the ATM the, with the car the other day, and I was with a friend, and so she was getting money, and I was trying to figure out money, and the guy behind me beeped, and I flew off. You know, we were dealing with this as quickly and sweetly as we could, so please do not beep at me while I'm trying to get my finances clear. <laughs> you know, you're already on a triggering spot, anyhow. And, and the thing that I did then was laugh. My friend made me laugh, and the laughter uh, released it, and also, uh, I hope, did away with my... I'll remember that. Next time somebody beeps at me, I'll remember the laughter oh, rather friend. than the yeah. uh, 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 flying off the handle, which is what I did do. So, But next time I won't fly off the handle because I'll remember laughing at it. <laughs> you see how yes, that works? Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. So you're talking about joy being an inside job. Is yes, that- absolutely. You build it, you create it, you feed it. You. The first thing, I think, the useful thing is to believe that it is. And my belief is that joy is an essential part of creation and this, uh, an element of creation. And so that it, it, it exists, whether we know it or not, whether we, it's like we can't see the air and yet it is all around us. And that's, that's how I think joy is. Joy is just in the universe, sub, submerged in the universe and part of the universe. And so it's billowing around us at every moment. And it is also one of the things that leads us the most gloriously to creative action, I think. Yes, but do you want to say more about that? Well, anybody who creates things knows that there's a there's a real as you you you're a writer, you know what it costs yes. and what it takes and how annoying you can be with yourself and how annoyed you can be with the computer and all the rest of it and trying to get an idea and you do this wonderful thing of studying and then your work pulls out from what you've studied the essence of what you want to teach and send further. Okay, now that's a joyful process. It can be agonizing, it can be slow, it can be painful, but there is immense joy in the fact that you have studied these thousand different ways for people to live more happily, more securely, more uh, more at peace with themselves. You've studied that, and then you've created from that a body of work and a wonderful book. So there, there is sitting around that whole process as difficult and wrestly as it is, you know, we wrestle with these things, there is just this permeating sense of billowing joy that Jane's got this piece. Jane's doing this piece. So there, I think, I even think that there are beings around, of joyful beings all around all the time. That's what I sense in the, the, the joyful presence, that there is simply this array of wonderfully joyful beings who say, oh, watch Jane do this. Watch <laughs> Jane do that. Watch all of us do that. Look at that person doing that. Look, look, look. So and you'd be pleased that I think they say, look, 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 because you're, you're beautiful work <laughs> with eyes so that's part of my belief system and what's wonderful is if you just entertain that belief yes I'm going with Norman Cousins here is that belief becomes biology and so if you entertain the belief that there is around us at every single second joyful beingness that wants us to learn wants us to apply what we learn wants us to live in radiant aliveness and you've just to entertain that idea and to have it sort of, you know, there's somebody at your shoulder, somebody at your back, somebody in your hands, all of that. This joyful being, you're just stirring a, a vast cosmic soup that is permeated with joy. Yeah. Well, so as you talk, I'm thinking about flow. Do you remember the book Flow, where you get in so immersed in a subject or a topic or a, a project that time just disappears and you're, yeah. just, you're so immersed in it and yet at the same time i'm i'm curious about these beings are they <laughs> this is my idea <laughs> i think i think they do ex- i think well we create them we can create them with our own imagination so and then do you have beings that 
either you created or they were there well, and you this is this is an idea actually that came from Michael Chekhov who was a wonderful acting teacher and hmm. he talks about if you're doing comedy on the stage none of us is is, is lighthearted it's difficult for an actor hmm. to be lighthearted enough to do comedy because comedy is the hardest thing there is to do on the stage and his idea was to create around you all these bubbling little creatures, little elves, little fairies, and they're all they're all around you. And 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 just the moment you imagine that they're there, you know, these and they're laughing and they're cavorting and they're making you uh, lighthearted. That that you begin to walk lighter. You begin to. You know, sort of smoothly make your way across the stage easily, and your heart is lighter because there are people, these little beings that you you have imagined are are making you laugh, are making you laugh, so that your your heart is lighter and your capacity to do comedy is vastly increased <laughs> and improved. So, so it's really Michael Chekhov's sense that that I I got that from, and I thought, okay. I can imagine the presence, the delightful, and and mostly because I'm like you, I love learning. So these are beings who love it when we learn, and then they love it even more when we apply what we've learned uh, to something that is useful and does and lifts other people's hearts. So you don't take um, beings that already exist, like Kali or oh, I um, I, I, I adore all those beings okay. absolutely. They're slightly they're different. Um, they come from a different realm, I think. Those great goddesses oh. and gods, and have have the additional reality because so many thousands of people have believed in them. Yes. So, but these become personal. You know, these are these are my personal joy beings <laughs> and they and they preside that's the, all and i elves. give them more and more strength and so it, remember years ago you may not have ever known her but there was a lady named barbara sarah in the new york mystery school who came to new york mystery school and was a, a stand-up comedian and she talked about mother shapiro yes the jewish goddess of parking in new york city Yes, or she talked about, it. and and she created a being that many of us now honor when we're trying to find a place to park. Well, more than that, I used her to find things, and then I started using her for healing. And she always she always complies. Well, as Jean Houston says, she's a working goddess. Oh so, my gosh. and so she's real. She's, I mean, she's you see how we made her real though, oh. and how we expanded her power. Just to make her the goddess of connection, that's one of the things she's done for me is find the people that I needed to meet, all that. So, but that that was a creation of a of a comedian. Oh my god! Isn't that wonderful? That and then fabulous. and we all and and that's how you do. That's how you create joy, and so and happiness. And so to talk to her, we have to always go, Mother Shapiro, darling, in a New York Jewish, you know, as much time. as we can, as we, and always to thank her. You know, and then she answers, and she answers, same. yes. No problem, darling. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, so we we can create any anything anybody we want to. And what has been my joy, absolute joy, is the creation of all these beings of joy that surround us and cheer us on. Cheer us on. So, do they have names for you, or are they just little elves running around? Well, they. 
it depends what I need. Ah, okay. <laughs> so I, I create what's needed that in that moment, usually. And who's to say that I'm creating it? I'm maybe just tapping into the great, as Jean quotes Rumi, I think, on the treasury of unseen generosity that's available in the realms for us. Hmm. Just dip into that treasury. And I think joy is the treasury that resides within us and deserves our attention and our attentiveness. So actually you're making something out of thin air. Yeah. You don't have to have a reason to be happy or joyful. You just decide. Wow. That's different. (laughs) (laughs) Choose. You choose. You step on the path of joy, for joy. And 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 it, it isn't that it's it, it's it isn't that it's that um, it's not quite that simple. It's very simple. It's in its way, but it's not quite that easy. It's more choosing and practicing. Vishnu in the Bhagavad Gita says, "Established in being, perform action." And my sense is, established in joy, perform action. So we establish by practice, by choosing joy, then then everything becomes easier to do and adds to the sum total of the world's happiness, which is part of what I think our job is. We need to add to the joy of the world and not to the sorrow. Acknowledging the sorrow, acknowledging it, Absolutely, we can't escape it. Mm. But but we ourselves, if we have the great good fortune to be healthy and not starving and all of those things, we have the opportunity and the great privilege of adding to the world's well-being and happiness. So say someone has something that you know, like a, a serious illness or, or they become destitute or something. How, how, how do you relate, how do you apply joy to that? Seems like you need a baseline of <laughs> yes. happiness. If, if, you've had, if you've had the great good fortune to have happiness and, and to have that sense of joy mm-hmm. within you, then I think it makes those terribly difficult moments and times mm-hmm. easier. I'm watching a friend right now who fell very badly and smashed her eye and smashed and broke her elbow. And she's laughing. What? Because she's so grateful it wasn't worse. (laughs) There's that. (laughs) That's that. But, But it's also part of her nature. And she has fed the elements of joy within her own being and her elements of happiness so that we have, we spend less time regretting. Ah, and just take things as they are yeah as long as we're living i mean we just keep living and well, living is kind of a base yeah and aliveness is my aliveness. is one of my sense of what joy really is it's a sense of total mm. aliveness and and even if we're in pain even if we've lost everything and i don't know cuz i've never had that dreadful thing that you know anything really would kill a normal person. So I don't know how I'll react to that. But my hope is that I will have established so rich an array of that treasure house of joy that even 
even when I'm dying, I'll have nothing left but thanks, gratitude, and praise. Praise for life and praise for the world and praise mm. for friendship and praise for people and all of that. So that's what my hope is now. <laughs> Who knows what, what may come? And, and it doesn't mean that we don't have profound compassion and do everything we can. That's one of the, the steps on the path of joy is joyful service and joyful sharing so that we do what we can to alleviate the sorrows and pains of the world but we do it from a place established in joy. Okay, so I have this question, and you've probably answered it already, but maybe you could take another look at, another shot at it. So how do you sustain joy, bliss, happiness, and still deeply experience the pain of the world? Well, I have a little quarrel with the word experience it because I live we live in a bubble of happiness and well-being pretty much in this town so that we cannot I cannot personally experience what others in agony are experiencing I can care and I can because one of the places that joy sets up housekeeping is the heart and the heart is so rich with the ability to want people to be free of suffering. So there is a joyful practice. This is that in inside praying, job. Yeah, that you're... in praying for relief, for others being relieved of their pain. You know, it's, it's like the, the, the famous Buddhist prayer. May all beings be free of suffering. May all beings be safe. But like the Dalai Lama says, we all want to be happy. So may all beings be happy. May all beings be well. So you just keep that sense going, even in the midst of the sorrows of the world, and you keep feeding and seeding your heart with the treasure of caring, which is an element of joy. Caring Mm. about others is an element of joy. So the more richly and sweetly we care, and do what we can, honestly and generously, to alleviate the sorrow and pain of the world, is also an aspect of joy. Without giving ourselves away, or <laughs> I mean, beyond a certain point, you can you can give everything away, and well, it's not you could do that, and there are people who do. My sense is it's it's a little subtler than that, maybe, or a little a little deeper than that because you need to know mm. what will alleviate the sorrow uh, what will do that what so just giving giving, giving may, not, won't, may not won't do it won't okay. do it and that's where we need to grow in wisdom of how how to authentically lift the sorrow of the world and we don't do it by adding to it <laughs> that's why it is part of of our obligation as uh, people who are so incredibly fortunate not to add to the sorrow of the world but to do what we can to alleviate it and to do what we can to bring through creative action more joy more delight more excitement more pleasure more all of those all of those good things okay so so here i am and i'm dreaming at night and sometimes i just worry all night and sometimes i i know about nothing or i i dream 
things that aren't very joyful, you know, that cause fear or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so how do you, what happens between the dream state and the awake state? Would do you have any my wonderful teacher Elaine de Beauport, brilliant woman of understanding of the brain, tells us that dreams are the language of the deepest part of the brain. Mm-hmm. And she's that was her teaching. There's some message, I guess, that is is trying to deal, to, trying to show you the things that worry you, trying to reveal that to you from the, from the survival part of your being, which is what that deep brain is responsible for. So it might be just in the joy of life, might be saying, you know, I still feel in my in this, this deep body survival place that there are things to be concerned about and I'm bringing to your attention through the dream world and is there something that you need to do to take action on around that and is there something that you need to do also to reassure that ancient survival brain that you're on the case <laughs> and that you're feeding it uh, assurance and kindness and gratitude and wanting it to that beautiful part of us that is responsible for keeping us alive that we're praising it for the fact that we're still alive so thank you for that thank you so that'd be my vote for what to do with a worrying dream so i'm getting the sense that you separate the dreams and the worries from the the part that is all joyful and so that the all joyful can work with can sustain, help, give good ideas, help us change within so that we can change the world. That's really what it does. So it it, um, speaks. The joy treasure house can hold like a beautiful Madonna, can hold that part of the body that is a... responsible for keeping us alive and for surviving and the part of us that is worried and spends our dreams worrying about something that joyful being that powerhouse uh, within us can hold that hold it like a small child and yes comfort and, it and, and comfort it. and say thank you for letting me know there are things to worry about i'm deeply <laughs> grateful to you for that and let's see if there's anything let's let's have a conversation one of the beautiful things many beautiful things that nana eden teaches is her sense of the celtic understanding of the chakras and they talk to each other so if we say that the joy treasure house is is primarily in the heart but i also think it's in the belly Mm. where the wisdom places are but it can talk to the one who's who's sending you the dreams and say what what do i need to know yes and what can i help you with and is there anything you need from me you know so there's a conversation going on with those internal pieces of our being so I am not my dreams. The no. dreams are just part of me. That's that right. I need to talk That's to. right. A very important part, and we want to honor them. But they're not all of you. That's right. Okay, so that reminds me. You have an original way of interpreting what someone says. I've seen you. I've, I've experienced that myself. You hear something deeper than the surface words when someone talks. And you deeply accompany that person's communication which leads to remarkable insights. How did you cultivate that skill? 
And is that a teachable well, thank skill? You for, <laughs> thank you for saying that I have that. Uh, and I, I'm hoping, I'm going to assume that you don't mean it's just interfering with the process by telling no. you, no, this is what you're really saying. I don't mean ever to do that, but to, but to say what, I'm, what my heart is hearing or what my deep wisdom belly is hearing. So do you have any recommendations for people, how people get to that deeper listening, that deeper understanding, that deeper wisdom that emerges? Pay attention to the belly. Mm. <laughs> Pay attention to the heart. And if you live a very long time, which I have done and am doing, then, then you have some sense when someone is speaking. You can hear both with the ears of the belly and the ears of the heart, and what many wonderful teachers call the third ear. So you just you third just third ear. Oh, you just, that inner ear that listens with the information coming from the belly and the heart is my guess. But but it's a skill that I didn't know I had. Thank you, <laughs> and I'm grateful to you for speaking about it so generously. But. That's all. And, and, and I, I do want to give a shout out here to the fact that acting training is really good training for listening for a subtext. So you started out as a, you wanted to be a missionary when you were a kid. <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> and then you young moved woman. into theater and beyond. So how, are those related or how, do, how is acting um, Related to this <clears throat> present compassion and bliss and joy? I think it's, uh, that's a good question, and I'm going to have to think about the answer. <laughs> um, I think the missionary piece was because my parents were disappointed. Were missionaries, but they had, had, they had to come home from the mission field when a number of difficulties arose. So I, some of that I just assumed Okay, well then I'm going to be the missionary here. So oh yes. Oh, so that happens, and then and and interestingly enough, what I was what I was approved for and was going for heaven's sake to Singapore with Singapore. was um, was sacred theater, and I I never actually put that together till fairly recently, but I was going as a, as an actor because that's what I had trained in, uh, as a theater person to see how. And I'd, and I'd done some work in, in what we called at that time religious theater. So the telling of the, of the biblical stories through theater oh. was what we would have been doing, you see. But along came my beloved friend, George Buffyatis, uh, who drove 48 hours straight to ask me to marry him. And so I thought he drove so long and so hard. I guess I better <laughs> say yes. So that's what I did. So I got married and we came to Ashland. So that's, and so I, I, he brought me into, as I am fond of saying, the arms of William Shakespeare, where I had, you know, played around before. But this was, this was the place where I belong in, in, uh, in Shakespeare's arms. So that's, that's how I got to Shakespeare. And then when I went to work with Jean Houston all those years ago now. In uh, mystery schools all right. over the country. And right, Lot, and lots of traveling and all of that. But it was primarily as, a, as an actor that that's, that's what she needed. She needed somebody who could enact and somebody who could encourage others to enact things more vividly in their own lives. So that's kind of how I started. And so how do you get from acting to, uh, to being a larger person? Well, if, if on the stage you're not bigger than life, then you're not doing your job. Oh. 
So. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you don't want you don't want the audience to get it. You know, oh my goodness, this is an aggrandized person. But but it, things do need to be uh, sharper and clearer. That's what the theater does. It clarifies for us, so we get to see what this action and this person does, and we see it. If we're good audience members, we see it in ourselves as well. So it shows us, the theater shows us who we are as human beings. It demonstrates that beautifully. And the relationship between that and sacred theater? How, when you started... Well, that, again, that's back to Jean, who's, mm-hmm. who's the, when I, I had absolutely neglected to remember that the work I would be doing in Singapore would be about the theater. It was religious theater then, because I was religious. Um, <laughs> but it was Jean who, when I first went to work with her, the first thing she she called me and said, "We're going, we're going to Holland, to the Netherlands, to do a conference on sacred matter, and I've enrolled you to give a talk on sacred theater." So that's how that began again. So that's what I started. And, and, and what what happened? What was that? There's a story there. It's <laughs> <laughs> well, a big story. Yeah. Well, it was fun because it's taken me many many years to delineate what it what it is. What are the things of the traditional theater that apply to one's life? What are the, the, the characteristics and powers, as I call them, of the traditional theater that makes sense if you look at your own life from those points of view? And that's what To Be and How to Be is about. So how, that, how to make life a sacred play. Okay, so just as an aside, you, your first book that you wrote is called To Be and How to Be. And is there a subtitle to it? Yeah. Yes. Transforming, Transforming your, your life, life. yes, <laughs> through sacred theater. So yeah. um, do you want to give people your, your uh, website? PeggyRubin.com P-E-G-G-Y-R-U-B-I-N.com And you. you can find all sorts of fascinating things there, including how to order her book. <laughs> That's right. Okay, and so now get back to sacred. So you got the theater, and then you got, but how did you get the sacredness of this? Once, I mean, it, the theater has always began, mm. except, as I'm fond of saying, those that took place by the campfire. But I think, <laughs> I think it, always had, it always had its origins in some sacred event or some telling of a sacred event. And it, it's only in more recent centuries that it has moved out of that place. But it, is, it was always an exploration and an and a demonstration of the soul's cry for greater understanding or more life. Oh. It's always been that. It's always been that. So when the words got put back because of that conference in the Netherlands, okay, so that's my work. Thank you, Jean. Is for, to enact or bring out the sacredness in everybody? That yes. And, and to recognize that, that everybody's life, mm-hmm. everybody's, every being's life, is a beautiful demonstration of a play, a work of art on stage, telling a story with a cast of thousands <laughs> and a sacred audience that cares. So that, that's really what it's about, that we, we live profound dramas of such tenderness and inspiration that we serve the world in a way by living as fully 
this absolutely unique, only one-time show and living it with everything we've got. And that brings us to the element of joy because joy is so much a part of the work of life that we wanted we want to live in joy and we want to do our great holy play with all the joy we can muster and manifest i feel like you've lifted me out of the mundaneness of my life <laughs> wow well your life was never mundane <laughs> dr battenberg darling <laughs> The last thing anybody would ever do would be to describe your life as mundane. But it has been an absolutely fabulous, truly fabulous if you look at it, sacred play. It is a sacred play of such mystery and majesty. I mean, think about it. Think about the places you've been, the things you've studied, the things you've learned, the laughter you have brought to the world. The love you have brought to the world, the healing power you have brought to the world. I mean, all of those things are manifestly sacred. And so that's each person you're... has that. Oh, golly, yes. And nobody's a better example than you. <laughs> so is there anything else that you would like to talk about that in this conversation about not just happiness, but moving, transmuting happiness to joy, a deep sustaining joy that is not an emotion, it's a... Steady state. And the, what the beautiful thing that I've learned by practicing is that, that, that um, it's, like a, it's like molten lava, you know, it's, it's like mm. a, a nuclear reactor, that steady state of joy, because it's not, it's not dull or dead, it's just alive and, and permeating uh, your body, your world, everything, so that you become what I laughingly call a joystick. <laughs> a joystick. <laughs> and 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 uh. and you do your best to just send it out with every step you take in the world. But there is there's an interesting thing that happens when you practice it. Because I say that joy is the practice, but bliss is the product. Oh. So you practice joy and from this nuclear reactor inside, which is joy, is you know moving, permeating joy. There are these, there's a, 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 an elixir. It's like, it's like the alchemical story that happens, that, that there's an elixir that comes from the practice of joy that is bliss, that you just, and it, it's not anything that you hold on to. It's like those absolutely wondrous fairy bubbles. It just, goes out and out and out and out and you hope and you send it with every intention if you have it of wanting it to make life easier for the neighbors and wanting to, to make life happier for the anybody who's suffering all of that so you it, but it's it, what's wonderful about it Jane is that it's easy it's easy so and joyful in its own then oh, how yeah. much of your life of your daily life is, do you get that bliss from joy? <laughs> That's a good question. 
not often enough I get caught in the oh I got to do this I got to do that oh my taxes are due oh da, 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 da. so I get caught in the in the oh no I got to do a podcast uh, yeah <laughs> but but it's what's wonderful is if you practice it you can touch into it at any time just oh. just set up a memory or set up a thought and say oh, take a deep breath take a deep breath you anchor it with your breath or with yeah, your Yeah, yeah. There's in. something that will happen or a hum, a sound will come. Something will happen that will remind you. Bring you home. Bring you home to joy. Mm. Bring you home to joy. Wow. So is there any last-minute point you'd like to make or oh, any last-minute well, Thank you for you that, Doctor. Like thank you for the opportunity to spill like this. Uh, enjoy. <laughs> Enjoy. Wow. Okay. Well, thank you, Peggy Rubin, very oh, much. Thank for this. you, Jane, for the delight of, of your aliveness and your brilliance and your goodness and the work you do. I feel deeply inspired and uh, transmuted. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> All right. Well, you were perfect before. Now, what are you? So, <laughs> thank you. So you don't miss any of our shows, make sure you subscribe to podcast.changewithin.com or click the subscribe button below. Until next time, this is your host, Dr. Jane Battenberg.